Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting with us this morning, again, we welcome you. It encourages us to have you here as a visitor, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. All of us have seen college campuses, and on that one college campus may be various schools of study. Perhaps there's business or medicine or psychology or whatever it might be. Think with me in a day and a time in Corinth where they would have different schools of philosophy, but instead of being united under one university or one school of thought, the various philosophies would be pitted against each other. They would literally fight over words. Uh, Legomachies is the word where you would use words to fight over words. And so as we look in 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and I hope you open your Bibles because we're going to look completely out of there this morning. And as we continue this or, or begin and continue this wonderful study of the cross, if you were in Bible class this morning, we began studying about the glory and the agony of the cross. And also for the 13 weeks in our Sunday morning worship period, we'll study in our sermons the glory of the cross. And as we think about that, we think about the offense of the cross. How is it that the cross could ever be an offense to anyone? Friends, it has been from the very beginning. And so let's look at a passage, 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, and let's see what was offensive about the cross, and let's make sure that we're on the right side of the cross this morning. Let's look at these that we're having problems with this. We're in the first chapter. We're going to drop back to verse 10. It is on page 1013 in your pew Bibles. Notice if we read 10, 11, 12, and 13. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same things, that there be no divisions among you, that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind, the same judgment. See how he's addressing this various uh, schools of thought and this division. Now let's pause here for just a moment. That's what was happening out in the culture. But you see, the culture was influencing the church for something negative. Friends, that can be true today. We have to stop and ask ourselves, is the culture influencing Mount Juliet Church of Christ or is Mount Juliet Church of Christ influencing the community about us? Here, let's notice how they were taking that division that was so uh, frequent. It was such a part of their culture and they were allowing it to bleed right into the church there at Corinth. Verse 11, for it's been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you described again. Now here we see those contentions. Verse 12. Now I say this, that each one of you says, I'm a Paul or I'm a Paulus or I'm a Cephas or I'm Christ. Here's his question to them. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? And were you baptized in the name of Paul? How could you divide under such wonderful men that all we know they were speaking truth? Perhaps it was like this. Perhaps even within the church, there was a school of thought that says, we're going to divide and we're going to go with Paul because after all, he's the one that established the congregation here in Corinth. Someone else says, well, we're going to go with Peter because after all, he was one of the original 12, and that's taking the church back to the very beginning. Somebody else says, no, I'm going to divide, and I'm going to stay with Apollos because he was eloquent in speech, and he represents the Greek culture better than the others. Someone else, another group says, well, we're going to divide, and we're going to stay with Christ. And perhaps we think, oh, they're the good ones. No, that wasn't good because they were going to stay with Christ and create contentions among those that believed in Paul and believed in Peter and believed in Paulus. Usually the point is none of these four were correct because they were feeding the fire of division. 
Now, how could this take place? What is the solution of this going to be? He asked them three questions there. Note again in verse 13. The question is Christ divided. Of course, Christ is not divided. Well, this brings us to a solution here. Was Paul crucified for you? Of course Paul wasn't. We know Jesus was. This is bringing us to the root of our study for 13 weeks. This is bringing us to the root of our life. Where do we find the life that is worth living? Where do we find direction? Where do we find the ways to avoid contention that should be avoided and ways to create division where it should be created? We find it at the foot of the cross. Notice that's what Christ did for us. He was crucified for us. Now notice the last phrase there, as he says, were you baptized into the name of Paul? Well, no, we were baptized in the name of Jesus. Christ was crucified for us. Our response to that is that we are baptized into the name of Jesus. In other words, we decide if we're going to live at the foot of the cross or if we're going to live out in the midst of the world. Now, with this in mind, let's think about verse 17. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with, notice this phrase, wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. The wisdom of words spoken here, is not wisdom that you and I would think of godly wisdom. 17 times in chapter 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Corinthians, he speaks of wisdom. It's Sophia in the Greek. And he's speaking of wisdom there. And that wisdom, many times, is referring and linked to the wisdom of man. In other words, it was the schools of philosophy that they were creating within the church to create contentions. Now, what happens when we do that? Notice the last part of that verse. It makes the cross of Christ of no effect. Can you imagine standing at the foot of the cross and saying to Jesus, it means nothing to me? No effect. That's almost hard to imagine. How could that ever be? That can only be whenever we follow the wisdom of man instead of the wisdom of God. Let's notice verse 18. As we think about some things, we're going to look in the next few verses. We're going to pull out a characteristic out of each verse that shows us what it would be if the cross had no effect in our lives as it was having for these people here that he's giving this warning. In verse 18, we notice again the very first part. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. You see, the effect is it's foolishness. How could the cross ever be foolishness? It was hard for the Greeks to even imagine the fact that God would be incarnated. And so they would think of the fact of Jesus Christ being the Son of God and dying on the cross. It was foolishness. Literally could be translated silliness, absurdity. Also the idea for the Greek to understand that we can have spiritual renewal at a crucifixion. Pretend that you've never heard that before. You're going to have... Moral renewal at a crucifixion? That's silly. That's absurd to the Greeks, to the Gentiles that refused to believe and to learn of Jesus. Also for the Jew, they had conjured up in their mind the victory of their Messiah, the reign that would be an earthly reign of their Messiah. And so therefore, when Jesus had that crucial aspect of his life, 
of crucifixion that undermined anything that they pictured of the Messiah. So therefore, that too became foolishness even to the Jew. Notice the second characteristic as we look at verse 19. He quotes from Isaiah the 29th chapter. He says, For it is written, I'll destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Again, he speaks of the wisdom of the wise there, not to talk about good or godly wisdom. He's talking about the wisdom that comes from man that is contrary to God. And when he talks at the end of 19 of understanding of the prudent, he's not giving a compliment that that would normally sound like. He's talking about when people have their thoughts all collected and they say, now I understand. He says, no, you're not going to understand. It's going to be brought to nothing. So when you think you're wise, it's going to be foolish. When you think you have it all put together, it's going to be brought to nothing. As a matter of fact, this is a quote out of Isaiah 29. And I don't have a screen for this, but I'd like to read to you. And if you want to flip back, it's Isaiah the 29th chapter. We just quoted out of verse 14, or Paul did there in 1 Corinthians 1st chapter. I'd like for us to back up to 13. And as uh, we're setting the stage for this, because I think it helps us understand today some dangers that we could have even today. Just because someone claims to be of Christ or just because someone claims to be of God, that verbiage has never been enough. Here, God's people were surrounded by enemies. In Isaiah the 29th chapter, he turns and he addresses the chosen people. They were calling on the name of the Lord. They were calling themselves God's people even at this time. But the problem is they weren't doing what God asked. They had decided a different way to live and different uh, traditions and doctrines to bring into their life. And notice what he says in verse 13. He says, Therefore the Lord said, Inasmuch as these people draw near with their mouths and honor me with their lips, but have removed their hearts far from me, and their fear toward me is taught by the commandment of men. And then we have the verse that we've just read. You see there, he's saying, oh, they're saying the right things with their mouth and and their lips are acting as if they're honoring me, but in their heart, their heart isn't honoring me at all. Well, what is that? Give us another description of that. And he would say, okay, I'll give you another description of it. It's this. They're not following my commandments. Oh, they'll say they are, but they aren't. And so it comes down to the cross Who is it that's going to live their life at the foot of the cross? It's not going to be the ones that says, I'm going to say I'm living at the foot of the cross, but actually I'm going to follow the wisdom of man. I'm going to put together my own prudent thoughts. No, the one who lives at the foot of the cross is one who actually places all of their life, their heart, and their words at the cross. The cross was no effect for them and it was going to be destruction in their thoughts and in their reasoning. Notice in verse 20, the ignorance that's referred to here. Where is the wise? We're back in 1 Corinthians now, the first chapter. Verse 20, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Now when he's talking about scribe here, this would refer especially to the attitude of the Jews. Where is the disputer of this age? That is referring especially to the attitude of the Gentiles, the Greeks. Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? You see, the effect of the cross for those of which he describes here is ignorance. They thought they had the wisdom. 
They didn't at all. It's all wasted. It's all in vain. We'll look at a little bit more of that in a minute. Look where it's going to lead to. More of, of the effect of the cross for these people in 21. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Did you notice the first phrase leading into the, the second or third line there in your Bible where he talked about since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God? Now again, when it says the world through wisdom did not know God, he's talking about the wisdom of man. So let's follow this line of thinking for a moment. He says, okay, the cross of Christ is of no effect to you anymore. How could that ever be? He says, you followed man's wisdom so long that now you don't even know God at all. Friend, think about today in our culture how man seeks wisdom. Today, many are saying in America that Oprah Winfrey is the spiritual leader in America. Now, let's say that you turn on Oprah and you say, Oh, I love Washington. She always has such good wisdom. She has such good advice. How close has she led you to God? Someone says, oh, Dr. Phil, he can really help your marriage. He can really help your friendships. He can really help your life. You need to get his books. You need to listen to him. You need to watch his show. How close has he led you to God? Oh, I tell you what, my, my supervisor at work, not only are they such a good person to work with, but they're really concerned about us individually. You can go to them and they'll just make your life better. They are such a wise person. How close have they led you to God? Oh, I just love my neighbor. My neighbor's always there to lend a helping hand. My, my neighbor is always giving such great wisdom and great advice. They're an older person. I trust them so much. How close have they led you to God? Friends, are we being impacted by the culture? Or are we impacting the culture? Let me tell you something. Oprah and Dr. Phil and all these other folks cannot improve your life where it counts. They can't do it. It's God that improves lives. It's us finding our life at the foot of the cross. And it's saying, God, what is your will for my life? I do not want man's wisdom. I want your wisdom. And any question we'd be tempted to ask them... Let's really get wise and let's ask God. That's how the cross becomes of none effect. Whenever we start following the wisdom of people instead of the true wisdom of God. Let's notice another characteristic in 22. The cross is of none effect for 22. For the Jews request a sign and the Greeks seek after wisdom. You know, now some read this and say, well, yes, Jesus, he just wouldn't give the Jews a sign. He did. God gave the Jews many signs. The problem was not that they didn't have enough signs to believe. The problem is they had no intentions of believing that Jesus was Messiah. We'll probably touch on this in a later lesson, but let me just quickly mention to you. The crucifixion alone, he gave signs that could not be denied. You remember it was dark from noon to three in the afternoon. Now I want you to imagine if right now you looked out and it was pitch dark. 
Not a cloudy day, dark. Why would that happen? That would happen because it was a miraculous sign to show that something tremendous was taking place. Not only that, the earth shook and the rocks broke. Why? To show the power of God and what was happening that day. Not only that, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom, top to bottom to show that God did it. And not only that, there was a resurrection of some that were very well known and they literally walked the streets of Jerusalem. Friends, the Jews had all of the signs that anyone would ever need to prove that Jesus Christ was the Messiah. The problem was not they didn't have the signs. The problem was that they were following the wisdom of man instead of the wisdom of God. Blindness. You ever said to someone, can't you see it? It's right before you. And they really don't see it. That happens to you and I when we don't live our life at the foot of the cross. Things can be right before us that are important, significant to our soul, and we just don't see it. Let's read on very similar thought here in 23. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. The effect of the cross literally becomes a blundering point. It becomes something they're tripping over and spiritually they're making their life a mess. And yet on the other hand, how many of us here could honestly from the depths of our hearts say, it's the cross of Christ that has put my life back together. It's the cross of Christ that has been a stepping stone for grace and for hope, for redemption. What a difference the cross makes. What a divide it offers depending on how individuals approach it. You see, that's the negative effect. But let's extend the invitation by looking at 29, 30, and 31 of this same chapter. And let's see the power of the cross. 29, look at 29. That no flesh should glory in His presence. If you're sitting at the foot of the cross, how can you glory about yourself? That's what he's saying in 29. We're not in the right place when we try to brag about ourselves. What are you going to say at the foot of the cross to Jesus to brag about yourself? We're the one that put him there. It's our sin that he carried there. He's perfect and we're sinful. He's strong and we're weak. What are we going to boast of? Except in him. And that's the last verse. That's verse 31, but notice in between. Notice 30. But of Him you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us... Now this is, notice, Jesus Christ became for us wisdom. What kind of wisdom? You know, we've been talking about the wisdom of man. Well, Jesus became for us the wisdom of God. And He gives us three aspects of the wisdom of God. Notice as we read this. In righteousness, in sanctification... And redemption. Let's break down that word righteousness. Rightness. Right. Jesus is right. Jesus is right for us. When we live at the foot of the cross, we find everything that is right. We don't have to go elsewhere for wisdom. But notice also that word sanctification. It is separation and purification. 
In other words, when we stand and we live our life at the foot of the cross, we have separated ourselves from the world. And that separation is the place where we ought to live, where we seek our redemption, which brings us to that last word, redemption, which is a final release from bondage. The ten times that this is used in the New Testament is in a future tense. In other words, we find that final release of bondage in Jesus Christ. Where do we find Jesus? We find Jesus saying, Listen to the message of the cross. Are we listening to that message? Or would we this morning say, it's of no effect in my life? Surely we wouldn't say that. This morning, let's make sure that we all leave here with the message of the cross impacting our lives. Let's make sure that we leave here living a righteous life. Let's make sure that We aren't living in such a way that we don't know God. We don't find Christ. We don't have that righteousness. We don't have that sanctification. We don't have that redemption. But living at the foot of the cross, the best of the world to come is offered to us. And to focus on things that are important in this life are with insight. If you haven't been baptized into Christ for remission of sins, would you do that this morning? If you have been baptized into Christ, but yet somewhere along the way, you've lost the way, wouldn't it be wonderful to come back to God this morning? Live your life at the foot of the cross and know what you believe is not in vain. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand as we sing.